read and everything, you know? <laughs> you know, so um, I have a book here called uh, Interpreting Hebrew Poetry. Uh, it's by David Peterson and Kent Richards, Richardson, uh, Richards. And uh, he, here's the book. Um, so if uh, um, you ever see it in a bookstore or see it online or whatever, and you're like, yo, that's the book that uh, he was talking about on Sunday. That, that, that's it. So um, it's called Interpreting Hebrew Poetry. And it's, this is really cool because like, it helps you understand a big chunk of scripture because believe it or not, a lot of scripture has poetry in it. You know, So uh, this, this really helps you understand how the poetry works and, and all that. And we're going to be spending a lot, a lot of time um, in, in that uh, today. Um, trying to decipher um, what the Lord is saying. Uh, so, um, hold on, sorry. So, uh, you know, ma- many times people ask me what my favorite verse or book of the Bible is, you know. Um, and it's interesting, uh, some of you even ask me, like, uh, so do you have a life verse? And I got to honestly say, no, nah, I really don't, you know what I'm saying? And the reason why I say that is because, look, like, I look at the Bible as a whole story, you know, and I mean, I don't mean a fictional kind of story, like, you know, uh, a story like that took place in a, in a, in a time long, time, long, long time ago in a galaxy far away kind of story. Like, no, I don't mean it that way and stuff, you know. But this is kind of what I mean. I mean the real story, an actual story, you know, that took p- place in our real time and space history, you know. And uh, this historical story is known by others and called by some the story of redemption. You know, uh, and that is redemptive history, okay? And so uh, when we read the Bible redemptively, we read it the way it was intended to be read. If someone were to pin me down, so if someone would really be like, all right, what's your favorite though? Okay, so I would say probably, I would say Luke 24, verses 27 and verses 44 to 46, uh, followed with uh, uh, John 5, verses 39 to 50. You know, we're not, we're not going to look at those passages today. But um, what's interesting is that... Uh, that when we look at these passages, they point to the fact that the gospel has its origins in the Hebrew scripture, you know. So for example, uh, Jesus says that the law, the prophets, and the writings point to his life, his death, and his burial. They also point to his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, his rule as prophet, high priest, and king, um, king of the universe, and they also point to his return. He tells the Pharisees, so in, uh, uh, in, in the John 5 passage, he tells the Pharisees that they search the scriptures looking for life, but they don't find it because they can't find him, you know? And sad to say, that's a lot how, that's, that's what people, that's how people read the scriptures. They don't look for life in him, you know? And that's not what we want to do. They don't have redemptive eyes to see. So we want to read the scriptures with redemptive eyes to see. So uh, we're going to be spending some time in Job today. So Job, Job actually is uh, in the writings. So Job is in the writings. Um, and what I mean by the writings, I mean that, 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 that the Hebrew scripture is broken up in, uh, you have the law, the, the prophets, and the writings. So Job falls in the writings. However, since James uh, chapter 5, verse 10 to 11, uh, if you get a chance to check it out, it's kind of interesting. James chapter 5, uh, verses 10 to 11, calls him a prophet. So uh, we can read him that way. So he's in the writings, but James calls him a prophet. So we can read it that, that way. Since we can read him that way, the question that I have then is... Um, and, the, and, 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 and this is what I kind of want to focus on for the, for the rest of our time. The question that I have is, since the gospel is in the Hebrew scriptures, can we find them in the book of Job? Can we find the gospel in the book of Job? Um, if we can find it, what does it say about Job? What does it say about Jesus? And what does it say about the church? You know, uh, we, so we will be trying to answer that question in Job 30. So we're going to be in Job 30 today. Um, 
and we're going to try to find ways that we could glean from Job 30 and, and see, see how we get things to, to live from it. But before we get there, I want to make a brief comment about uh, the structure of Job. And so uh, if you open up your, um, your, uh, your orange or lime green things, if you have them, uh, I, I got to steal one or take or borrow one. I don't want to steal one. So, <laughs> um, so if you open it up, we have a little chart uh, here and stuff. Um, and the chart just kind of shows you the flow of the book of, um, of, of Job. Now, uh, what's interesting is like, if you look at chapter one and two, chapter one and two kind of function as like a introduction to the whole story. Now, that's important for us as readers. You have to understand that Job doesn't know any of this that's going on in Job chapter one and two. So he's not, a, he's not aware of the conversation between uh, Yahweh and the devil and stuff, you know, Yahweh and Satan. He's not, he's not aware of that, you know? Um, and so, uh, and I'm not gonna go through this whole thing because we'll be here for a month of Sundays if I do. So, um, <laughs> um, so, but a big part, a big chunk of Job, 95% of it is poetry. But this is kind of cool because it's poetic narrative and stuff, you know. So it's a narrative that's in poetry. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of banging. Um, but what we'll be focusing on, for real, for real, we're going to be focusing on uh, is Job's final words and his final defense. And that's in uh, chapters 29 to 31. And we're looking at Job 30. So what's interesting here is if you look at, this, at the second column, chapters 3 to 20, 28, what happens is that like uh, he has a conversation with his three friends. Now the best thing that the three friends could have done is right in chapter two. They came and just sat with him. That's the best thing they did in the whole book. Because if you read the book and you read it clearly, they don't understand what Job is going through. And plenty of times Job was like, yo, why'd you even come? Why are you even talking to me and stuff? You know what I'm saying? Because like you're not understanding what I'm going through right now. You know, there's plenty of times that he says that to, him, to them about him. I need somebody who's going to hear what I'm saying. You know, and then the Lord comes on the scene, you know what I'm saying? And then when the Lord comes on the scene, Job does exactly what every single person in the scripture does when the Lord comes on the scene, closes his mouth, lays prostrate, you know what I'm saying, lays on the ground, you know. And think about it, Isaiah did the same thing. Everybody in scripture, when they see the Lord, it's like, oh, that's the Lord. And either if the Lord shows up, it's like, man, I'm surprised I'm still living, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> But anyway, so, but the Lord shows up on the scene, and the Lord go, go, goes into that whole thing and all that. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but, like, again, if you have time, just, just, uh, just go through this chart and, and everything. This, 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 this chart really helps you understand the flow of the book of Job. Okay, so um, there are at least two wrong ways to read Job, okay? Two wrong ways to read them. Um, most prosperity gospel teachers read the first two chapters and go to the last chapter and say, Job lost everything. He had strong faith in God, didn't complain, and got everything back at the end. That's how they read it. You know what I'm saying? That's a wrong way to read it. Okay. Uh, the second wrong way to read it is the way that Job's friends even were like about it. Job's friends were like, you know, Job, you must have did something wrong. That's why uh, the Lord's doing this. You must have sinned somewhere. Your children must have did something wrong, you know. And Job, that's why Job's like, yo, y'all ain't listening to me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so, but that's another wrong way to read it. So Job is not to be read as a self-help, this is how not to complain, this is how not to be kind of book and stuff, you know. That's not how Job is to be read. Job is not to be read as a here's how to win like Job kind of series. That's not how to read it, you know what I'm saying. And most importantly, Job is not to be read as a your best life now according to Job. That's not how you're supposed to read Job, you know. So uh, Job is to be read as one like you and I, like us, right? He's a sinner that is in need of a savior. Job, as a righteous sufferer, points to the need of a greater righteous sufferer. That's what Job is all about. 
the Bible does not call us to be Job-like or anyone like uh, anyone in, in the uh, Old Testament. The Bible never calls us to be like another David, another whoever. The Bible always calls us to be like Christ. That's what the Bible calls us to be like. That's who the only person we're supposed to be like. Um, so Job is also to be read against the backdrop of the Old Testament. And this is what I mean, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this. But see, you have a story, the narrative, the book of, and I'm sorry, <laughs> you got a narrative, right? I, get, I, I do it, I'm sorry, I got to. <laughs> you got a narrative, right? It's a nine serial narrative. It's a book telling the story from Genesis to uh, 2 Kings, that like this is the sliding scale into exile. You all have sinned. This is why you're in exile. This is why Israel and Judah have ended up in the Assyrian and Babylonian captivity. So the way you read Job is you read Job is like Job is a righteous sufferer, but he's in exile. Now, what you have is you have um, people who, have, who are righteous and wicked. They get swept up together in exile, and that is how you read it and stuff, you know. And so, um, uh, so part of the book of Job's function then is to see uh, how, the, like how the righteous suffer. So how righteous people suffer, you know, um, which again points to a greater righteous sufferer who recapitulates and relives the Job situation, you know. Uh, so now let's consider Job. Let's consider Job, Job 30. So uh, if you have your Bibles, please open to uh, Job 30. I wish I had it open, right, to Job 30. Yeah, that would work. Okay. All right. So uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8. Verses 1 to 8, but they, but now they laugh at me, but now they laugh at me. Men who are younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. What could I gain from the strength of this, their hands? Men whose vigor is gone. Through want and hard hunger, they gnaw the dry ground by night in waste and desolation. They pick salt wort uh, and the leaves of bushes and the roots of the broom tree their food. So we have here, we see in, in verses 1 to 8, verses 1 to 8, that Job is being mocked. Job is being laughed at, you know. And in your notes, that's, that, that's, that's the first thing we have here, that Job was mocked. Job was mocked. Um, and so what's, what's, what's interesting is that, like, this word for laugh, in the Hebrew, this word for laugh, we could connect it to uh, 29 verse 24 because it's the same word. It says in 29 verse 4, I smiled. But in the Hebrew, that's the same word, I laughed. Or, uh, and, and, the, and, the, and what's happening here is that, like, that Job smiled in a good kind of way. He laughed in a good kind of way in chapter 29. But here, these young guys, these young dudes, they're laughing, they're mocking in a bad kind of way. That's why we have they laughed at me, they mocked at me um, and stuff. So he says that these young dudes, these young dudes, like they're terrible. He's like even their fathers, right? He even goes in to say that their fathers um, wouldn't even have made it with my sheepdogs. I wouldn't even put them with my sheepdogs, you know? Um, that's what he's saying. He says of both the, these young guys and their fathers that they were not able to keep up because they have no strength. That's exactly what it says in verse 2. We, so what could I gain from their strength? You know, what could I gain from them? They have no strength in them. Um, uh, so, and their vigor is gone. And because their vigor is gone, they couldn't work. It's not that they couldn't work. They wouldn't work. You know, there's a big difference between couldn't and wouldn't. <laughs> you know, um, he goes on to say that they go around begging for food and only end up eating the dry ground, salt or So that's salty vegetables and other wild veggies like the uh, leaves of bushes and roots of the broom trees. Uh, so, so in, in verses 5 to 7, Job says that these are, these are the kind of youngins, these are the kind of young dudes 
that nobody wants to be around, right? So in verse 5, he says, they are driven out from human company. They shout after them as after a thief. Uh, so like these, like, like what he's saying is like nobody wants to be around these kind of guys, you know, and we know people like this. Uh, they are the kind that, so we were at this, we were at this thing yesterday uh, and we had all these bugs flying around and stuff like that and we were shooting them away and all that, you know. And it's just like at a picnic, you know, at a cookout when you have bugs flying around your food and you just shoot them away. That's what they're doing with these people. They're like, get away from me, get, get, get out of here, you know. Um, <laughs> beat it, scram. Uh, and since, so like, and since people don't want to be around them, uh, these young thundercats, these young dudes end up living in terrible places. And we see it right in verse 6. They live in terrible places. Uh, they live in the gullies or in the wild, in, in, in the wadis. Um, uh, they live in the gullies of the torrents. They must dwell in holes of the earth and of the rocks. So they live in the wadis. They live in, in rocks, you know. Um, and it also points to the fact that they, uh, they live in the wild. In verse 7, they live in the wild. Among the bushes, they bray. Under the nettles, uh, they uh, huddle together. So what's, what's happening is that, like, if you pay attention to this, what they're eating is where they live. You know, they're eating the bushes where they live. That's, that, 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 that's what it is. Um, and so, uh, so uh, uh, and, and we see that in, in verse 4, like, like where, where they're eating, and you connect it with, with uh, verse 6. They're, they're eating where they live. So, uh, so when we get down to verse 8, a senseless and nameless brood, they have been whipped out of the land. Uh, and what's interesting is that, like, verse 8 kind of, re- re- like, like, goes back to uh, chapter, verse 1, and it says uh, that Job, that the function here, it functions kind of like an inclusio. So he calls them senseless, senseless and nameless. And what happens here is that, like, Job is not making fun of people who are poor. That's not what he's doing here at all, you know. What he's doing here, um, if you look at the word senseless, it literally, literally means uh, sons of base fools or sons of idiots. Um, in line B in verse 8, it says, they have been wiped out of the land. And uh, that goes right back to uh, ver- verse 5, where it says uh, that nobody wants to be around them. They, they, they shoo them out of the land. They don't want to be around them and stuff, you know. Um, and so... I like uh, what uh, Christopher Ash says in his commentary on Job. Um, he says, these are men who are destitute and unemployable, not because they are victims of a cruel society, but because they never worked at school. They never worked at school. They never took the opportunities offered them, never showed uh, honesty or reliability because they are thieves and violent men, because they are foolish and wicked. That is why they are or ought to be at the bottom of the heap. You know, they, they, they ought to be out, like they're foolish men. Um, and so I remember when I was in ninth grade, you know, uh, it's crazy. I went to uh, a high school that was a combination between Lean On Me and uh, Class Act. You know, <laughs> if, if you're familiar with those movies, you, you know what I'm saying. So, like, I went to Germantown High School, you know, and, and it was a science class. And everyone knew that, like, this dude was a big-time drug dealer in ninth grade. This is probably the ninth time that he was in ninth grade. I don't know. You know, that's just how he rolled, you know. Um, so, uh, so he's in the classroom in the back. And he looks, he singles me out. He's like, yo, you going to do my homework? I was like, absolutely, I'm going to do your homework. I'm not trying to get shot in ninth grade, you know what I'm saying, you know? And so, the <laughs> but the point is this, the point is this, is that like, that he acted just like these guys that Job is talking about, you know, that like, these are people that, that they don't want to work, they don't want to do anything. They're unemployable. All they want to do is just not do anything. And Job was like, you know, these people are the ones that are making fun of me now. And that's exactly what hap- was happening. So Job goes on to say that they, he was being mocked. He was mocked by these young guys. And then this mocking turns into them being physical. So not only was Job mocked, Job was mistreated. So in your notes it says Job was mistreated. 
Job was mistreated. And we see this in verses 9 to 15. Uh, and verse 9 says, uh, uh, and now I have become their song. I am a byword to them. I'm a byword to them. Job says that he has become their taunt song and a proverb. You know, he has become, this is, he's become a, this is what you don't want to be like kind of joke. He also becomes a, a remember when Job was like kind of joke. And really, if you look in chapter 29, what happens here is that, like, when you look at chapter 29, Job reminisces of, like, this is how my life used to be. I was living in a lap of luxury. I was living in plush and this and that, you know. And I was doing things to help people out, you know. But now he gets to Job 30. But now, this is how I am. So if you look in verse 1, again, it says, but now. And then in verse, verse 9, it says, and now. So this is Job's reality right now. He's like, now, this is how I'm living, though, you know. Um, and uh, so he becomes a you don't want to be like Job kind of joke. Um, so in verse 10, we see verse 10 uh, goes on to say that they abhor me. They keep aloof from me. They do not hesitate to spit at the sight of my face. You know, uh, so we see here that Job is saying that these guys who once didn't want, nobody wanted to be around them. Now these guys who, who, who uh, are castaways, these guys don't even want Job around. So they're like, yo, get away from us. We hate you. Get away from us. But notice what they do. Notice what they do. They even spit at him, right? They even spit at him. So what this means is, this literally, literally means, literally means from my face, they did not spare, they did not spare their spit. From my face, they did not spare their spit. You know, uh, so verse 11, Job seems to begin to realize, uh, so if you look at verse 11, verse 11 says, because God has loosened my cord and humbled me, Loosen my cord and humble me, they have cast off restraint in my presence. So in verse 11, Job seems to begin to, real, to realize that God is the one kind of behind what's going on here to him. You know, he's like, these guys are doing this to me. They're being physical to me. But he's also kind of realizing, they're like, hey, there's something behind this and stuff, you know. Um, uh, he says, literally, uh, uh, he says that, like, he says, Job seems to begin to realize that God is the one who's behind this. He's, he has loosened his cords, and because the cord is loosened, the ones that were mocking him earlier begin to physically and be verbally abusive to him. They're verbally mistreating him and, and all that. So um, if you want to take a look with me uh, at verses uh, 12 to 14, it says, On my right hand the rabble rise, they push away my feet, they cast up against me their ways of destruction, they break me up. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They need no one to help them. As through a wide bre breach, they come amid the crash. They roll on in. So what's happening here, this is like, so when Job says, cast up, they cast up uh, uh, the destruction against me and stuff, what he's saying here is that like, th like this is siege work kind of, kind of uh, stuff that's happening here. So if you're ever familiar with a siege, what happens is like you have an army that comes in, takes over a land, takes over a property or whatever, and usually takes about, um, maybe a few months to about a few years to break in. And once they break in, then the uh, enemy comes in and takes over. They plunder. They do whatever they want to do in, in, in the town and the village and stuff, you know. And so what Job is saying here is that, like, in verse 13 and 14, uh, so th this is a metaphorical kind of way of speaking that, like, these guys are coming into my life, taking over my life and stuff, you know, and it's kind of like siege work. So what's happening is they don't need any, any help to break into his life. They break into his life, they come into the walls, uh, and once they make a wide crash in and make a breach, they come in to cause him harm. They cause his harm life. So what's happening here is that because of this, he is terrified. He's terrified of his life, terrified of his wealth, terrified of all that, you know. He's like, who's going to help me and stuff, you know. Um, um, and so since Job is mocked, so we see that Job is mocked, right, while which leads to him being mistreated. And then he goes on 
speaking about this deep mourning he's experiencing. So we see that Job was mocked. Job was mistreated. Now, in your notes, we see that Job mourns. We see that Job mourns, right? Uh, and we see this in verses uh, 16 to 23. He says, and now my soul is poured out with, within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones, and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest. So Job's deep mourning and his affliction in his soul is because of the fact that he's experiencing pain in his body as well. And if you look in uh, Job, uh, um, I have it in your notes, Job uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 11 to 19. Take, take, take some time to please look, look at those on your own. But like he talks, he talks about this, this, this pain that he's feeling in, in these chapters and stuff, you know. So this also points to the fact that he had some kind of skin disease too. You know, so throughout the book it talks about that he had a skin disease, you know. Like if you look in uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it's like he had all these boils on him and stuff. You know, he's, he was pick, pick, picking scabs and stuff, you know. Some believe that it was like an elephantitis kind of thing. You d- we don't really know, but like he, like he had a serious skin disease. Um, in uh, chapter 19, verse 20, it talks about the fact that like they could see his bones and stuff, you know. Like, like he, he, he was that maltricious mal- looking. Um, he, had that, he, he had that going on for him. Uh, but if we look in verses 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19, with great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me about like the collar of my tunic. God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. He's become like dust and ashes. So this is a poetic way of saying what's going on with him. So like, and, and, and he does it in a metaphor and stuff. So if you could understand what, what he's saying, he's saying that God, with great power, you have gripped me up. You have grabbed me by my shirt, caused me to get choked up with my phlegm and all that. <coughs> you know, like, like that, that's what happens when people get gripped up, you know. You have caused me, to, you, you, you grabbed me like this, and then not only did you grab me like this, you threw me into the muck and mire. Like, that's, that, that's Job's complaint right here. Job is saying, God, you're letting all this happen. You gripped me up. You grabbed me up, and you threw me into the dust. That's exactly what he's saying here. Um, and then, uh, and because of what God does to Job, or what Job is perceiving that God has done, we see here in verses 20 to uh, 23, he says, I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind. You make me ride on it. And you toss me about in the roar of the storm. For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. So let me ask you a question, y'all. Like, have you ever, ever, ever felt like this before? Have you ever felt this way? You know? Have you ever felt that God was being silent when you're praying? Have you ever felt that way before? You know? Like, have you ever felt that God's hand, his persecuting hand is on you? It's heavy on you. Have you ever felt that way? You know, uh, have you ever felt that, th- that you were in the middle of a storm and then God was just tossing you to and fro, like tossing you back and forth? Like, have you ever felt that way? You know? So I hear it, say, I hear it said all the time. I grew up in church. I hear it said all the time. We say, God, have your way. Oh, God, please have your way. Have your way. Have your way. Right? Okay. But what if God, in his infinite wisdom, decides to have his way in this kind of way? Job ends by saying, for I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for the living. So, like, this this poetry is kind of interesting. This poetry is really great. And the reason why I say this is because this is called synonymous parallelism. And what I mean by synonymous parallelism is this. This is where the first half of the verse will make a statement. So we read it in verse 23. It says, 
for I know that you will bring me to death, right? That's the first half. That's the A line. And the B line, B line kind of almost functions as a commentary on the A line. So the B line says, uh, um, and to the house appointed for all living, right? Um, so we see that the statements are parallel. So they're parallel because they're side to side, you know. Um, and we also see that the statements are synonymous in that they say the same thing. So in, in this case of verse 23, the parallelism amplifies the theme and restates it. So it's amplified. It, it restates it and stuff, you know. That's why I'm saying line B functions as a commentary on line A. Uh, um, and so he says here that, like, uh, uh, the house appointed to all living is parallel to bring me to death. And literally, that, that, that's, that, that's kind of an interesting way of saying that, that that's the house for all living. Sooner or later, our house is the grave, you know. Uh, so what he says here is that, like, so what Job is really saying is that, God, why are you abusing me? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's, what's going on? Like, God, why are you doing this to me? Uh, you know, you have let these sons of nobodies, right, in these first few verses, these sons of nobodies do this to me, you know. And then even my friends, they don't understand what I'm saying. But now, like, you, you're not, what's up? You know? So, Job's great mourning leads even to deeper despair and melancholy. So we have Job was mocked. Job was mistreated. Job mourns. And now we see in these last few verses that Job, Job has deep melancholy, right? Uh, and that's in verses 24 to 30, 31. Uh, because of what God is doing to Job, or rather what God is allowing Job to go through, Remember verses 18 and 19, uh, uh, like, you know, like you gripped me up by my shirt and threw me down in the dirt, you know. Uh, and then in uh, verses 20 and 22, 20 to 22 is like, like, Lord, like you have also like grabbed me by my shirt. Not just grabbed me by my shirt, but like you're not even listening to me, you know. I'm crying out to you. You're not even hearing me out. Because of that, in his lament to God about God, Job says in verses 24 to 26, so we see in verses 24 to 26, yet does not one in a heap of ruin stretch out his hand and in his distress cry for help, right? So in verse, so when, when one has been broken, so this, this, this is what Job is saying here. Like, like this is very, very important here. This is very deep. He says, when one has been broken or is in trouble, they stretch out their hands. So think about it. When somebody's in trouble, they normally reach out for help, right? And what usually happens when somebody reaches out for help? They usually get what? Get the help they're looking for, right? You know? Somebody usually is there for them to, to help them out, usually. I'm not saying that, it's that that's always the case, usually, you know. So um, usually they get the help. But in verse 25, this is what Job says. Did not I weep for him whose day was hard? Was not my soul grieved for the needy? <laughs> Man. So it's like Job goes on to say that when I was doing well and when I was on top, that's Job 29. That's, that's what Job's talking about in 29. Like this was my life before all this and stuff, you know. Uh, when I saw people who were going through it, I helped them out. So like, look, look, uh, look at uh, chapter 29, verse, um, verse 12. Verse 12, it says, uh, well, verse 11, when the, when the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when, he, when the eye saw it, it approved. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The, the blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Uh, go down to verse, uh, verse 17, uh, uh, verse 15. He says, I was, 
I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I stretched out the cause of him. I searched out the cause of him uh, who I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous. So, like, this is what, what, what Job is saying. Like, I did this for people who needed it, right? So he's like, and, and he's that exactly doing what uh, Paul says in Romans 12. He says, like, mourn for those who mourn. Mourn with those who mourn. He's doing exactly that. That's what Job is doing, right? So, so, but he says, and, and, and if you look in uh, verses 18 to 20, he's like, I thought, like, you know, I'm going to die like this. I'm going to die chilling. I'm going to die helping people out. I'm going to collect my 401K. I'm going to get my Social Security. I'm going to be on top. I'm going to be chilling. I'm going to just go out, go, go on vacation, get all my money, and uh, uh, just, just, just help, help people out. That's what I'm going to do. But let's look at verse 26 and 30, in chapter 30. Uh, he says, but when I hope for good, what's it say, y'all? When I hope for good, it's like evil came, right? Evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. Please, like, if, if you have some time, because I don't have, really have that much, but, like, like if, look, look, look at Psalm 35, uh, verse 11 to 16, because th th this is very close. And David says these same kind of things. You know, uh, when people were going through it, I helped them. But when I was going through it, where was my help? That's exactly what David said. That's exactly what Job says here. That like, like I help people. I was there for the needy. But when it was my turn, what's, what's, what's up? So basically what Job is saying, what Job is saying is that I did this for the poor. I did this for the needy. I did this for the fatherless. I did this for the widow. And when it was my turn, God, when it was my turn, you snubbed me out. You did not do for me what I did for others. That's not fair, God. Have you ever felt that way, y'all? <laughs> like, have you ever felt like I've done all this stuff for all, all these people? I've done all this stuff for the orphans, the widows, the least of these. I did Matthew 25. I've done all this stuff for you. I've done all this stuff for you, Lord. You know? But where were you when I needed you? That's what Job is saying here. Where were you when I needed you? I did all this stuff for other people. Where were you? This is borderline blasphemy, right? <laughs> this is borderline blasphemy right here. You know, but he says, you have not been as good to me as I have been good to others. He's calling the goodness of God into play here, y'all. This is crazy, right? He's like, yo, Lord, you ain't been that good to me. You know what I'm saying? I know this is what they say about you, that you're good, but you ain't been that good to me, yo. That's, that's what he's saying here, you know. So this sounds like blasphemy, you know, but I want to I wanna encourage you all. This sounds like sin, yet this is not sin, okay? This is not cursing God. So think about uh, Job chapter 122 and Job 2.10. These are the words of the Lord about uh, Job. He says it like he never sinned and he never cursed God. So what does this say about complaining and lamenting then? You know, because I'm, no, I'm sure that we all grew up in, 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 in environments, in church cultures that said, you better not complain, this and that. So what does it say about it? What it says here is that, like, look, there are two types of complaining and lamenting. There are some that are in faith. And then there's some that are out of faith. So we think about the ones that are in faith. You think about the ones that are in Psalms, for example. Lord, God, why? How long? This and that. How long are you going to do this? How long are you going to have it like this? I trust you, though. That's the kind of lamenting and complaining that is biblical lamenting and complaining. Uh, 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 complains. But you also have in the Bible those who uh, complain and lament that are uh, sinful. 
the children of Israel in the wilderness. Lord, it was banging in Egypt, right? You know what I'm saying? You know, I was eating in Egypt, you know what I mean? But now, in this daggone wilderness, you know what I mean? Like, yo, what's up? And the Lord's like, these ten times you all tempted me, that's it. This, like, yo, this generation, I'm done with these balls. That's what the Lord said. I mean, Mike, Mike Boyd, uh, verse, that's what the Lord said. You know, I'm done with them. And then you read in Psalm 95, I ain't wanting nothing to do with them. Therefore, today is, the day of sal- today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of worship. Come, if you hear the Lord's voice, don't harden your heart like those in the wilderness. That's what he says. So there's two types of complaining and lamenting that happens in Scripture. One, the Lord approves of. One, the Lord is like, yo, get away from me because I will smoke you out. Uh, so not all complaining is sinful. But um, see, we are finite, you know what I'm saying? And don't know what's, what's going to happen in the next moment or what the next moment we will bring. I'm talking about the next moment. So we can just walk out of here. We don't know what's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Let's keep it real. You know, <laughs> let alone next week. <laughs> we don't know, you know. Um, so he wants us to trust him, though. He wants us to be open. He wants us to be honest. He wants us to be respectful about our complaints, though. He don't want us coming up on him also like, Lord, you, you tr-. like, no, he don't want us to really, he don't want us to come up on him like that. But he wants to hear from us, though. He knows what we're going through, you know. Just like we learned last week, he knows us through and through, you know. So, as the chapter closes in verses 20, uh, 27 to 31, there are five observations that we uh, can, can find out regarding Job's grief. We can find out about Job's grief. Um, in uh, verse 27, uh, it says, My inward parts are in term oil and never still. Days of affliction come to meet me. Right? So, we see inward grief. Right? That's the first thing we see, inward grief. His insides, his innards, <laughs> uh, his inward parts, referring to his heart, referring to his, like, intestines, referring to uh, his organs, which, belie- which, which uh, the Jewish uh, uh, writers believe that that was the seat of your emotions and all that, you know? That, like, and you know how it is, man. Like, when you're going through something, you feel it not only, but you feel it in here, too. It's like, oh, snap, like, I'm not ready for the day. Like, I know what it's about to bring. I got to pick up these five kids. Like, oh. So, anyway, like, <laughs> like, like, you know what the day's about to bring and stuff, you know. So, like, that, that, that's, and, and, and it is, like, what he's saying is, like, it's in ceaseless turmoil, ceaseless. Whenever I think about what's going on, what's going on inside of me, I can't even function right. This is inward grief. This is Job's inward grief. We also see, we also see that uh, Job experiences outward grief. He has outward grief. Uh, we see that in uh, verse 28. I go about darkened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help, right? So he says uh, he is darkened. He's darkened. Uh, he cries for help from his friends. You know, as we read through the, through the whole of Job, he cries for help from his friends. His friends are like, well, you, know, you did something, man. Like, that's what's going on, you know? <laughs> um, uh, he, he, he cries out to, to those in the assembly, you know, to those who know him well, the ones he's talking about in chapter 29, they don't, they don't help. Cries out, and, and, he, and he says, like, I cried out to the Lord. The Lord don't seem to be helping me, you know? And then when Job talks about darkened but not by the sun, and this, this is very interesting, when darkened not by the sun, again, this points to his outward grief. Points to his outward grief. We also see the relational grief. So not just inward grief, outward grief, but relational grief. You know, uh, in verse 29, he says, I am a brother of jackals and a companion of ostriches. Or what it might say in yours, a companion of uh, owls. They might say it in yours. But the point is this, is that, like, the only friends that Job has are wild animals. That's the only friends that he has. That's what he's saying. My buddies who are sitting around, they (laughs) they don't understand. The only people that do understand are these wild animals. Now, what's funny is that, like, if the wild animals could talk, they'd probably be saying the same thing as uh, as his homies. 
Some of you did. I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, like, but what that's pointing to, th- these wild animals, that's not necessarily pointing to that they're his friends. What it's pointing to is the fact that, like, you know, these wild animals, they make noises, right? They groan. What it's pointing to is the fact, like, you know, the reason why they're my companions is because they groan. And in my, in my pain, I'm groaning too. That's why they seem to be my friends because they're groaning just like me and stuff. You know, that's, 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 that's what he's pointing to here. So, um, uh, and it, ma- it reminds me of this picnic song, this cookout song, uh, Where Are All My Friends by uh, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. You know, <laughs> like, when you go home, just look it up. It cracks me up. The song is funny. I was playing it for Ann uh, earlier this week. Um, we also see that Job uh, has uh, health grief. He go, he, like, like, he has health grief. Um, and that's right here uh, uh, in verse 30. My skin turns black and falls from me, and my bones burn with heat. This is health Grief, that's the best way I could put it, um, healthy grief. Well, it's not healthy, but it's just health. Uh, his skin is blackened, falls off him, and his bones ache. This points to the severe suffering he's experiencing. So uh, Robert Alden, uh, in his commentary, says, these last, sub- these last symptoms of Job's, Job's must be taken with other, others to complete the picture of his intense physical discomfort. Again, I pointed out to the fact that he has scabs all over his body. Um, he has scabs. He has festering sores over his entire body. He's malnutritious. Uh, he's repulsive in sight. I mean, in, 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 uh, um, uh, in, in chapter 19, you know, it said that when kids see me, they just want to cross the street. They want to walk the other way. Now, it's funny, right? Like, uh, what's his name, Gage? When Gage walked up in here, Gage started crying. I'm like, Dad, go on. I guess, I, <laughs> I guess I'm like Joe today. You know what I'm <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but the thing about it is, like, when kids saw him, they was like, yo, mommy, he's gross, yuck. They wanted to go the other way and stuff, you know. And also, uh, he had bad breath. Trust me, he had bad breath. So look, look, so, uh, look at um, um, chapter 19, verse uh, 7. Husbands, we're going to love this, all right? Seventeen, 19, verse 17. It says, my breath is strange. <laughs> My breath, is <laughs> my breath is strange to my wife. That's what he says. My breath is strange to my wife. So it's like he's trying to turn over, honey, how you doing? She's like, oh, bro, what's going on? I've had that happen before. I'm not going to lie. I try to, honey, how you doing? Huh, do something first. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? But, yo, this is Job's wife saying this. Job also said earlier, yo, just curse God and die. Now your breath stinks. Get out of here. You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> he says, uh, and he says, I am a stench to the children of my own mother. That means, like, my brothers and sisters don't even want to be around me. Like, this is how bad it is and stuff. You know, my breath, my breath stinks. So, like, on the real, like, even after service, you're going to see me pop, like, about two pieces of gum in my mouth because I don't want to offend you. I don't want to offend my brothers and sisters in the Lord with bad breath. That's what I don't want to do. I don't want to be like Job. All right, so, so these conditions are really, these are bad. These are physical conditions that he's going through. I mean, could it be halitosis? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? He's going through it real bad. Um, and so the last grief that we see, we see Job's emotional grief. So when he says the lyre of mourning uh, and the flute, of, flute or pipe of weeping, see these musical instruments can sometimes point to celebration, but they could also point to uh, things that they use for dirges and whatnot. You know, are you all familiar with a dirge and stuff? You know, like their, their funeral songs or whatever. You know, they, they would play these during funeral things when people would mourn and they would play like, like you know, this kind of song they would play and stuff. You know, say, say, say that again. Yeah, absolutely, sad song. So, like, he's like, yo, like, I have become a sad song, you know. So he's like, this melancholy that I'm going through, this is my lament right here. Um, At some point in our lives and in our walk, we have all felt this way before. Am I right? We've all felt this way before. And sad to say, if we're not feeling this way right now, it's going to happen. 
under the sun. This is life under the sun. You know, it's going to happen. Maybe not as bad, but, you know. So, I mean, this sucks, right? This sounds pretty bad. I mean, this is what we came to church for, to hear about this bad news, this grief that's going on with this guy and stuff. This sucks. Sorry, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, <laughs> we all know someone who has been through this. I know that some of us have been going through um, serious transition in our lives, you know. We've gone, we were going through some moves. There's a lot of moving that's been happening with us. Uh, we were going through losses of jobs, new jobs coming up, you know, whatever and stuff, you know. We've gone through broken relationships. You know, we've been wrongfully accused of stuff, etc. Right? A lot of a, a lot of us ha- have 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 been de- dealing with some stuff, you know. Um, so uh, I just want to share something. My wife and I, and some of y'all know, my wife and I recently um, uh, experienced a miscarriage. Uh, uh, la- last month, it was last month, right? The, yes, it was last month. We recently experienced a miscarriage. And uh, for me as a husband, I'm like, you know, I didn't know how to feel about that. But it hurt because I'm like, you know, I'm seeing my wife crying in the hospital when, when, when the doctor's telling her that. There's nothing you could do for your wife in that, in, in that moment, you know? And it hurts me to see when, 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 when my wife is crying because there's nothing that I can really do to, to, to help her and stuff, you know? Like, it, it really kills me because, like, Ann, I mean, if you know her well enough, she won't hurt, she can't hurt a fly. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that, that, that's just how she is, you know? So, like, when I'm in the hospital and the doctor's telling us that, like, you have suffered a miscarriage, it hurts, and it still hurts, you know? So it's like, yo, like, we have, as, a, as a church, as a young church, have been, through, been going through a lot of things, right? I mean, if, if we were to just take, take time to just talk about all the stuff that we were going through, we, we probably could fill up a, an afternoon doing that, seriously. Uh, and think about it, too. The church worldwide has been going through things. I mean, just look at the news. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, I know someone who has been through this, and I think you know someone who has been through this too. Hebrews 2, verses 17 to 18 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Chapter 415 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So who is this person that we know? Who is it? It's Jesus. That's it. That's, that's the one who has been through this. And so when Jesus said that he must die and rise again because it is written, when Paul says Christ died according to the scriptures, and when any of the writers of the New Testament say that this was done in order to fulfill what has been written, here is what, so I'm going to start off with saying here's what they don't mean then. They don't mean that, like, look, the writers just look into the future and they see that this happens to Jesus. That's not, what's, that's not what they're seeing. What's happening here, here is that, like, when they mean by fulfill, they mean that, like, look, that, like, what was going on with these people was actually going on to them. So it meant something for the original person, the original hearers, the orig- original writers, and all that. So when we say that, like, uh, that Christ fulfilled the fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus can only be understood if we first understand the meaning in its original understanding, in its original context, in its original text. Uh, and then we can apply the application, um, we can apply it, the prophetic word uh, for its original hearers and stuff. So what I'm saying is it like, you know, that you understand the original situation and then you see how Jesus is the greater fulfillment. He is the better fulfillment. So in this, we see that Jesus is a better 
So Job points to the fact that, like, there will be another righteous sufferer. Now, Job is sinful, yet he's blameless and all that, just like he says in chapter 1. But Job points to a better and greater sufferer. You know what I'm saying? You know, so Jesus is that true, righteous, greater sufferer. You know what I'm saying? And what's crazy about that is that, like, Job, in, 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 in his real-life situation, his real-life situation, all that mess and turmoil that he was going through, points to Jesus. Now, I know we don't have enough, we don't have, we don't have a, lot, a lot of time left, you know, uh, but I just want to go through a few passages to prove my point, and, and we'll see how the gospel shows up in Job 30. Are you with me? Okay, all right. So, so uh, Jesus was mocked, right? Jesus was mocked. We see in uh, Psalm 22, verse 6 to 7, David says of himself that he is a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their head. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him, for he delights in him, right? So this happens in the real life situation of David, you know. But this also happens to Job and his real sufferings too. However, this has a greater fulfillment. This has a greater, a greater meaning when Jesus comes on the scene. So like it, it's all the way filled up. It has, it has its understanding in their situation, but it means a whole lot more, and it actually points to the real suffering that Jesus is going to have. So uh, it speaks about it in Matthew 27 and also in Mark 15. Um, he says that those who passed by derided me, wagging their heads, saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved, him, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from uh, the cross, and we will believe in him. And then, like, they, they, they actually say exactly what first, verse 8 says in uh, Psalm 22. They say, he trusts in God. Let him deliver him. Let him save him, you know, if, if, if the Lord delights in him and stuff, you know. Uh, and if you look in Luke's account, Luke has a trifecta of blasphemy going on here. He says, that, like, look, like, the mocking and the scoffing comes from the Jewish leaders first, comes from the Roman soldiers, and then they come from the criminal on the cross. And, you know, the criminal on the cross is like, yo, all right, like, are you the Christ? Cool. So they're saying save yourself. Don't just save yourself. Save us also. Get us off this cross, too, if you are the Christ. So Jesus is mocked by everybody. And Job's suffering, Job's mocking points to Jesus' mocking in a greater kind of sense because what happens to Jesus is that, like, he does it for the many while Job only does it for himself. Jesus does it in a way that, like, takes off the wrath of God, you know, from, from, from us, removes our sin while Job is just for himself. That's why Jesus is a greater sufferer than Job. He is mocked and whatnot, you know. Uh, Job, Jesus was mistreated. Um, in Luke 18, uh, uh, 31 to 30, 33, it talks about the fact that like, that, like, Jesus predicts the fact that, like, you know, when I go to the cross, this was going to happen to me. I'm going to get mocked. I'm going to get mistreated. I'm going to get spit on and stuff, you know. Um, and so Jesus says that, and the disciples don't really understand that. So um, if we look, uh, Jesus, Job was saying, was saying his soul was poured out in uh, verse 16. My soul, is poured, my soul is poured out and whatnot, you know. Isaiah, so when we get to Isaiah, and Isaiah talks about this as well too, Isaiah says that the servant's soul is poured out for the sins of the many. And again, this points out to the fact that like Jesus' suffering, his pouring out of his soul is greater than any other one who came before him because it was poured out for the many, not just for the one. So he's the one for the many, all right? Um, uh, and Jesus says to the 12, as they head to Jerusalem, Everything that is written about me, about the Son of Man, by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked, shamefully treated, 
and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. So one of, this, one of the aspects of the mistreatment is this whole idea, this spitting motif, this spitting motif uh, that, that, that Job is talking about here. When they see me, they spit at me. They spit in my face. Now, we know someone who has got spitting in their face and whatnot. So uh, when we look at Isaiah 50, verse 6 to 7, he says, I gave my back. He says, I gave my back to those who, stri- who, uh, who strike me and my cheek for those who pull out my beard. So, like, so he gave his back. People were beating him on his back, and they also ripped out his beard and stuff, you know. You know, they, they pulled his beard out and everything, you know. And then he said, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, you know. But the Lord, he goes on to say, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Man, like, uh, I don't have time. Because, like, that whole setting, setting his face like flint points to the fact that, like, what he talks about in Luke 9, that, like, you know, that, that, that like, Jesus knew that I'm going to the cross. This is what I'm going for. Nothing is taking me from the will of the Father. I'm doing this. And that's why it says in John 10, nobody takes my life from me. I, like, like, like I'm, I'm laying it down and stuff. Ain't nobody murdering me. You know, that, like, like, like that, that's what Jesus is saying here. Um, so uh, Jesus mourned also. So, like, when, 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 we, when we hear on the cross, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, Jesus utters those same lips, those same words on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So uh, it's interesting because it seems like a prayer of despair, a prayer of lament, a prayer of complaint, but really what is happening on the lips of David and on the lips of Jesus is a prayer uh, of faith and trust. However, in the midst of faith and trust, there is room for real mourning. There's room for real mourning, y'all, just, just like what's, what's happening here. There's room for real mourning, uh, and there's room uh, for hurt to be expressed. Because this was what Jesus' real deep mourning turned into, and it also turned into his melancholy on the cross. So Jesus had melancholy, and um, again, uh, I have a bunch, um, a bunch of passages, so if you want to talk to me later about it, we, we, um, we could talk about it and stuff. But like, the one that I want to point out to is the fact that like, when Jesus was on the cross, um, or before he got on the cross, uh, it talks about the fact that like, when they strike him, the sheep are going are, are, are to leave. And it points to the fact that, like, like, yo, that like, when I am captured, when, I am, uh, when all this happens to me, my disciples are going to disperse and stuff, you know. Um, and so, again, we, we, we see that. He has real melancholy. And in uh, Psalm 69, it talks about the fact that, like, you know, my heart was broken. My heart was broken for the reproaches that were placed on me and stuff, you know. And then when we look in John 19, we see the fact that, like, when he was pierced in the side, there was blood and water that came out. So it speaks to the fact that, like, look, when Jesus was on the cross, what killed him really was the fact that, like, his heart was broken because of the fact that he was forsaken. That's what, that's what happened to him. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the beatings. It wasn't him on the cross that, that killed him. But it was done in order that the wrath of God was removed off of us, y'all. Um, so in these passages, Jesus also speaks of the fact that he will rise from the dead. The disciples do not see it. So I don't have much time to prove the resurrection from the dead. However, the idea of resurrection is, in, is not in Job 30, but it is in Job 19, verses 25 to 27. He says that, like, I know my Redeemer lives. I will see him, you know. So, 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 so the idea of resurrection is in Job, you know? Um, and again, this points to the fact that, like, Jesus says, like, the law, the prophets, and the writings point to the fact that I'm going to die and rise again, you know? Um, uh, uh, and, he, and here's my, la- my, my last point. It al- is also found in Psalm 16, verse 10, and in Hosea uh, 6, verse 1 to 2. Psalm 16, 10 says, you're not going to leave my soul uh, in, in, in hell. You know, you're not going to leave me in Sheol. You know, uh, you're not going to let my body see corruption, you know? And that points to the fact that, like, he's going to raise him up and stuff, you know. Um, and then Hosea chapter, chapter 6 points to the fact that, like, you have national resurrection kind of talk right here and stuff, you know. But Jesus functions as the one for the many. So it says, uh, in two days, you're going to revive me. After two days, you're going to revive me. And on the third day, you will rise 
from, uh, you will rise me up and stuff. So Jesus, in a sense, plays as the greater Israel servant and that like he is the first fruit that rises from the grave and that those who believe on him will be re- uh, uh, resurrected too. So here is my last, my last, last, last point. Yes, in his suffering, we suffer with him, for him and because of him. But our sufferings point to a deeper call and growth and fellowship. The sufferings are also for the greater good of the Father. So if you get a chance to, please check out Romans 8, verse 7 to 25. Um, and I just want to end here. I know that, like, um, in class they tell you, like, don't end with a quote, but I'm going to end with a quote. Um, so John Piper says, in answering the question, so because he, he's coming from Romans 8, so in answering the question, what does it mean that we must suffer with Christ in order to be glorified with him in this way? He goes on to say that our glory with him Our inheritance is conditional upon our suffering with him. He says, no pain, no gain, no cross, no crown, no suffering, no inheritance. That's why it is. And if you say, what kind of pain? Is it just persecution he's talking about? Or or is it other miseries we face in his life? So his answer is that from the following verses in Romans 8, that is all the groaning that comes with the futility of this fallen age, all the groaning. It's not just persecution. It's uh, calamity, calamity, it's disease, it's death, it's the things that we go through on every single day. That's, the, that's, that, that's what it means to be suffering for his sake as Christians. You know, because it, like, like truth of the matter, we may, we, we may, not, fought, we may not have the persecution that, that is happening to our brothers and sisters around the world. But the way things are going in this country, I'm not going to be surprised if we see it in our lifetime. You know, uh, but, but, but that's, that's all a part of it. Uh, any suffering that you meet on the road to heaven and endure by trusting in Jesus, any hardship that might destroy your faith and lead you away from God, uh, if there were no afflictions and difficulties and troubles and, and pain, our fallen hearts would fall ever more deeply in love with the comforts and securities and pleasures of this world instead of falling more deeply in love with our inheritance beyond this world, namely God himself. Suffering is pointed is appointed for us in this life as a great mercy to keep us from loving this world more than we should and to make us rely on God who raises the dead. So, is Job 30, is is the gospel in Job 30? I think it is. We have seen how the sufferings of Jesus are in Job 30 as well, and it's because of these sufferings that we have good news. So it's in these sufferings that we have good news, you know? Jesus suffered on our behalf and rose again so that we will rise with him. And all of our sufferings build up our faith. Everything we go through builds up our faith. Think about James 1. You know, count on all joy, brethren, when you go through trials, various trials, you know, and ask for wisdom if you, if, if, if you need it. And it prepares us for eternity with our triune God. Father, we thank you so much just for this day. And um, I ask that you just... Make it so that we can go through these passages again uh, throughout our week. Bring it up in our minds so that we can.